This is the Ezra podcast. This is an MMA edition podcast. We're talking about UFC 272. Jorge Masvidal versus Kobe King, uh, Kobe, <laughs> Kobe Kingston, Kobe Covington. And what I took most from the fight is that Jorge Masvidal is way beyond uh, his prime, way beyond, uh, you know, his highest level of fighting and it wasn't that he couldn't keep Kobe off him. It was the fact that he didn't have any, you know, real speed to his hands, his legs, which, you know, are normally not like in the best position, right? Like he's kind of straight legged, but he didn't have the, he couldn't like, you know, when he does the fake sprint into a shot or the switch, quick switch into a shot, he did not have that. He didn't, his hand speed was horrible. He couldn't really react when Kobe was hitting him with very slow combinations. Like he just didn't have anything really to offer. Now there's very... There's a lot of questions whether Jorge Masvidal is even, you know, cause really considered an elite fighter of any, you know, was, if, was he ever an elite fighter? And the answer probably is no, he was never an elite fighter. He, he was, you know, in this era, at least a top welterweight. He did have a run, you know, to be the top, uh, a top welterweight when he beat uh, Darren Till, he beat Nate Diaz, he knocked out Ben Askren, you know, the, he had a little run there. And, you know, the one thing Jorge Masvidal has on his resume that Kobe didn't have was at least some names, right? Some decent, notable names that he had. And Kobe didn't have those names. He doesn't. Really, his biggest win is Tyron Woodley, who was washed when he beat him. So, Kobe is now seems to be uh, realizing that he might just come up short ever as champion. And now he's going to get some good paydays with some, you know, names right the names in the ufc but also you know build pat build his resume up so he goes down history as one of the top welterweights because he has the potential to really do that and Jorge Mosley was just you know really the start of it and the fight went exactly how i, t- I said and it really i should have put a spoiler alert on my last podcast when i broke down how this fight was going to go because kobe covington really did exactly what I thought he was going to do. He's going to put pressure, put horror against the fence, take him down a few times because Kobe Covington doesn't have any power really in his hands and he doesn't have any, you know, really submission uh, game. He doesn't have a submission game at all. And I know people getting uh, maybe a little frustrated with me when I was commenting on this, the saying that like, hey, listen, like his submission game is not good. It's it's, it's kind of sorry. Those are some of the worst rear naked choke attempts I've ever seen. And Jorge Mosfeld wasn't really even afraid of him if that if we're being honest he wasn't uh he wasn't scared of him at all sorry one second okay so yeah he wasn't he wasn't afraid of him at all it was um it wasn't much of a defense like he was just putting his chin down even when like he would let him get his chin and let him wrap it in he just Kobe just did not know how to finish that he was never close he threatened as far as like he got in position to do it, but he didn't. He never came close to even finishing it, or really came close to where like Jorge had to like really scramble to get out of it. He just it didn't get there. So Kobe Covington let Jorge Masvidal linger. The one thing with Masvidal, the more he lingers, the more opportunity he's gonna have. And he did eventually land uh, a left hook that dropped Kobe Covington, and Jorge Masvidal had nothing left in the tank to really you know act on that or really make a run to win this fight. He just didn't have that. He just didn't have it. And you've seen it and he dropped it and you're like, okay, jump on him. But he just, nothing was left in the tank at all to do that. Go to the fifth round and exactly how I said, Kobe Covington right back to rinse and repeat what he's been doing. Gets in on Jorge. And really, you know, like I said, Kobe, 
I don't really think like as far as like a the way he puts his like takedowns together once he has you, it's kind of just like peer pressure. Like he's just pressuring you, pressuring you, pressuring you, uh, grabbing around your legs, right, squeezing, trying to get you just to break from just like the constant pressure he has on you, and drag you down. That's what Hori did. He just kind of gave in to the position. It was over. You knew the last round that he was not going to get up. He was not going to make anything happen for himself. And Colby Covington was going to walk away with the, you know, the biggest win of his career and in this rivalry that. They had Kobe Covington got got the best of it, and Jorge Masvidal, as far as rivalries go, with Usman and Kobe, he he's he's all for three, and really kind of like an embarrassing fashion in all of them. Now he does have a Leon Edwards right uh, rivalry that we, I don't know if we ever see that fight, but that you know that could maybe save some face there in that fight, but that's not that's not an easy fight either for for anyone. So. Especially with Masvidal being washed as he is, or at least what I think, right? So where do they go from here? Well, I think Kobe he called out Dustin Poirier. I don't know how realistic that fight is. I think Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz makes a lot more sense. But I think uh, uh, Kamsa Shimaev is the next logical opponent. It's either him or Burns. Whoever wins out of them, uh, out of them, I think that would fight Kobe Covington. I think that's. An excellent idea. I think it's an excellent matchup. I think that if you're trying to build Kamza as a star and you want to see what he really has, and people really think really highly of him as well as I do too, I think Kobe's a perfect match. And I think that Kobe's going to talk and he's going to try to get under skin and all that. And I just think that with um, uh, Chimayev being kind of like the silent assassin, like when he talks, it's very like low tone, very like he's very calm. He's not never really gets too high, never too emotional. Him, versus, uh, him and Kobe, like, kind of going back and forth, it's it's kind of like, to me, like a match made in heaven as far as that. And you kind of want to see, everyone wants to see what comes out is. And Kobe Covington is the perfect test. If he could run through Kobe Covington, who has won a war with Usman, you know, it kind of just really sets up, like, a match for, like, if this is a passing of the torch for Usman and Kamsat, who, you know, still has to get through Burns, which isn't an easy test, easy fight at all. I'm just saying if he does... Him and Kobe's a good fight, and if Burns beats him, then you get him and Kobe, and that's an excellent fight as well. It's a really good matchup in the welterweight division. Now, these guys are actually, you know, getting these fights with the lower level guys now fighting each other, and one of the lower guys, not lower level, I'm sorry, like, but not the, you know, the the guys that not champion who maybe had the shot and just weren't able to capitalize on it, are building their resume though, showing like what level of fighter they are, you know, other than what Usman, you know, other than they can't beat Usman. Still showing they're like one of the best guys in the UFC and maybe one of the best guys this era at the welterweight division. Let's go to the co-main event and you had Rafael Dos Anjos versus Renato Marciano. And for Renato, I was surprised. I didn't know that when I broke this down fight. I didn't broke this fight down that it was going to be a five-round fight. I didn't think it would because of the late replacement. It was like a week, you know, less than a week's notice late replacement for Dos Anjos. And Dos Anjos just really runs through Renato, who doesn't really looked like he was ready for a fight at all or was like training for a fight. I don't know what where uh his next fight was gonna be or when it was supposed to be. He just didn't look like he was in any shape to be in a fight. Now he takes a beating for five rounds and um I'll give him credit for that. And in the UFC uh, opposite of like what boxing is when a guy takes a beating like that the UFC has a lot of praise for it, right? That like they even call the fight great. When really it wasn't great, it was really one sided and he took a beating from Rafael Dos Anjos. But he, he did show a lot of heart, and he won the full five rounds. 
which you know probably definitely does deserve an applause or credit of some sort. Now, Rafael Dos Anjos really benefits this week from uh, Islam Makachev kind of, you know, not going through with late replacement, which is kind of ridiculous that, you know, people were like, no, even not just people, Dana White was kind of expecting him to do that, right? And the fact that he didn't do that is kind of like he's getting punished now and losing out on fighting for the title next, which is really ridiculous and you know, we could get into more later as far as the UFC bullying its fighters and setting a tone for if they need your late replacement and you turn it down, you will be punished for that. And this is not just, you know, late replacement, but it's also a fight on a quick turnaround that the guy just fought about, you know, two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago. But apparently he lost the title shot. So Rafael Dosan is kind of, you know, he could play the card where, you know, like this guy's scared of me. He doesn't want to fight me. And then he has this performance where he just runs through Renato. And, you know, it's just a good week for him, really. If he just add all these things up and kind of just puts his name out there, it kind of makes him look like a threat again. I don't know how much of that's true. Kind of looked like he kind of benefited from the guys not being ready for a fight. Rafael Dos Anjos, to me, is, you know, still pressure fighter, but he doesn't have the timing he once had. He doesn't have the explosion he once had. But, you know, still a credible fighter. And I think that it was this was actually a good week for him, how everything played out. Not for Mark, Islam Makachev. That that what that that wasn't the so great, but for Rafael dos Santos, he, he you know he, he really ran with it. Uh, we had a featherweight belt: Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. And uh, Mitchell just destroy uh, dominates uh, Edson Barbosa. He doesn't destroy him. I want to say destroy. It was doesn't he dominates him? He does everything he needs to do. Now I didn't exactly walk away from this thinking that Bryce Mitchell was a world beater. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. Now he did good things. I'm not doubting that. But I just didn't think, oh, this is a world beater right here. That's not what I walked away thinking in this fight. I um, I saw a guy that was dominant, and he didn't really let Edson Barbosa really get anything going. He even dropped him with his hands. So he showed like elements, of, uh, different elements and stuff. But it's just when you're really dependent on the ground, right? And you're really dependent on like your submission game and. Your stand-up isn't that great, which, like, when he tried, like, his, his spinning stuff that he usually tries to get the distance, Edson Barbosa kind of, like, ate up his legs, uh, as I imagined he would, as I called that he would. But Bryce dominated this fight, so it's like you can't say, like, oh, you know, he dominated Edson Barbosa, who's, you know, not not in his prime anymore, but still competitive, especially at uh, featherweight. But I just, I didn't see Khabib in there, right? And not, you know, that's one of the best fighters of all time. So maybe that's not a fair comparison. But I'm just saying, I didn't see that dominance of a ground guy, right? A guy that just takes you to the ground and he's going to win all his fights that way. I didn't see where I needed to see where I was like, this is something different. This is a guy that could beat, you know, uh, a, a Jan or something like that. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that from Bryce Mitchell. I saw a guy that did what he was supposed to do against a guy that is no longer in his prime. But... As far as like, oh wow, this is something different. No, I did. I did. That's not what I took from the fight. Good win from him, and uh, you know, keep moving up the rankings. But as far as like, what I declare this guy's going to be a future champion? No, I, I wouldn't say that for Bryce Mitchell right now. Kevin Holland made his debut at welterweight. Uh, Kevin Holland, you know, went on that uh, a good streak of like where he was just taking fights, you know, short notice and all that. And he was beating guys. I think he won like five fights in one year. And then when you got the hype all built up for him, and then they give him big opportunities, he gets like Vittori or Brunson, 
he really was not showed to not be at that level. Now he beats all uh, Alex Oliveira here, and you know it's a lot of theme. The theme's kind of consistent here of uh, fighters just kind of really past it, and Oliveira is really really past it. And he, but he was still looking good. Like the first round, he was kind of catching Holland. Holland looked like kind of Holland does. Like where it's like kind of like deer in the headlights, where it's like not going good for him. And he just kind of looks like he's ready to give in. But then he comes out in the second round and not like Kevin Holland. He ready to explode, looks explosive, looks put together, starts changing his game up a little bit. And he gets a, he gets a big win for his career, especially at welterweight. Now, I think Kevin Holland's going to be really, the, this happens in MMA. probably happens in, fight, in boxing too, but I think I know some more in MMA. Uh, where there's a guy, he, he, he showed one time a, a glimpse of something maybe we thought was special. And then like we just never let that go, even though he's no longer showing that. I think that Kevin Holland could be that guy, and I think that people think that him at welterweight is like going to be some, you know, like huge threat to the title. I, I don't see that from him. I don't see consistency from him. I don't really see greatness from him really at any point. I at one point I thought his timing was excellent. You know, when I, when he was going on that run, I would see things, but then it's kind of like maybe it's just to the level of the guys he was fighting. He was able to do those things, but when you get to like the the, the top guys and they, you know. You gotta face resistance. I don't know if Kevin Holland ever stands up to really to resistance, and I don't know if Alex Oliveira is in his prime. I don't know if he he gives in, right? Like I don't know if he ever lets Kevin Holland have that moment, those moments in the second round. Kevin Holland gets a win though; he does what supposed to do, and he's on the main card for a reason, right? On this UFC, he's a name. People have hype behind him. They they want to believe in him. I just have my doubts. I don't think I don't see consistency there. Greg Hardy loses again uh, to Spivak, and I don't know what to say. Greg Hardy just can no longer compete in the UFC, and everybody knows his ground game is terrible. And once he gets to the ground, he is helpless. And to me, that was, you know, I seen it again, and now I just it's like uh, it's all been revealed. It's like when you know they get uh, like when they had CM Punk, and you're like didn't know what it looked like, and then when you saw it, you're like okay. That's what it looks like. It makes sense. And I don't, you know, really need to see that anymore. I did want to talk about one of the prelim fights. And that's Jalen Turner versus Jamie Malarkey. And uh, Jalen Turner, who, you know, isn't exactly what I would say, like, a, a have been a world beater at this point. But he has, you know, he has like the attributes to be what it looks like to be something special. He's got the skill. What it looks like to be something special. It looks like he, it really what I took from this fight. It looks like he's starting to put it together, right? And looking to like making uh, some kind of run here in the UFC. I had the card up, but then I, then I lost it. One second, sorry. Okay, yeah. So Jalen Turner, who's very tall, very long, very good timing. I think his skills are finally catching up to the attributes that he has. And he got an impressive win. I think it was one of the more impressive wins of the night. I'm excited to see where Jalen Turner's going to go with it. I think, something spe- I think he's going to be a very special fighter at lightweight. Like I said, he hasn't exactly been a world beater, but, you know, especially MMA with, like, they don't have a big amateur background and all that. you got to give these guys time to kind of, like, turn into okay, guys and women. Uh turn into the fighters that they're really going to be because they didn't have an amateur pro- there's not really a big amateur program right a lot of these guys are you know coming from one skill set and then applying it trying to learn everything else to apply to it so i really 
really am high on Jalen Turner. I think it, a lot of people were after uh, that night of fight, fighting, but I just wanted to make sure I talked about him. It's only a prelim fight I'm going to talk about. Um, it was all around a uh, good night of fights. Uh, I think there was a common theme of like people past their prime, and I, you know, not that the, that's what like they thought when they scheduled all this, but that just kind of ended up what it would. But to me, what the theme was, especially with Mahorhe Masvidal. So we're gonna see where they go from here. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the S Ra Podcast.